bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7-365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Well, you may know Izan Spivak as a British composer, conductor, arranger, best known for her work recording and touring with Smashing Pumpkins, Elton John, Christina Perry, and many, many more. But what else you need to know is Izan is also a very successful food writer. She has just finished her 13th book about food that will be out January 22nd. It's called Vegetable Cakes, The Most Fun Way to Five a Day. And we're lucky enough to have Izan joining us today. And Izan, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule to come on and, and talk to us. Well, thank you, Laurie. I'm I'm really excited to to be joining you. Uh, I have a soft spot for Seattle, so it's really great to be here. Well, we love musicians and we love food, so it's really a match made in heaven. <laughs> totally, that's why I love Seattle. <laughs> yeah, this country is really trending more back to eating and growing our own vegetables. And is that something that's going on? across the world? Is it an American thing? And how did you kind of discover putting vegetables into more things than just maybe dinner items, but you've, you've actually crossed them over into desserts? Okay, well, there's a whole bunch of different um, questions in there. In terms of growing um, produce, um, I think this is a trend that we're seeing worldwide. I think actually most food trends these days um, kind of begin somewhere but go very quickly worldwide because everyone's online. So the, you know, the, the borders between you know, what's trending in Los Angeles or what's trending in New York or London pretty quickly blur. There's usually a lag of only a few months um, these days because of Instagram and Facebook and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, people wanting fresh produce and people being on a budget at this time, those, those are driving factors to everyone thinking, well, how can I, you know, bring healthful vegetables um, to the table um, all the time, whatever the season, and uh, on a budget? And really the best way to do that is um, – you know, in your own kitchen, you can easily grow any season. If it's like a New York winter, like it is right now, you can still have a tray in your kitchen, only a small, shallow tray with a little soil in it, sprinkle some seeds on there. And if they're lettuce seeds, you've got a salad in like 20 days. Um, so, you know, that's one great way to have super fresh seasonal vegetables in a place like New York where like they just, don't really have that um and and you know seattle's a little different there's obviously more access to fresh greens in the pacific northwest but it's still great it's nothing like cook, you know cut then and at the next second so that's the first half of your question then the second half about um how i've been smuggling them into cakes um <laughs> it, that was really um 
related to how I think about life, which is um, in general, I kind of like to, I question a lot. I'm very curious and I have a lot of sense of wonder. And I think whether I'm doing music or food, that's really the driving force. And so, you know, I was just like carrot cake. That's a great cake. Everyone loves carrot cake. Um, People like pumpkin pie. That's really fine. And zucchini bread, no one is laughing. But why do people not use all of those other vegetables? Why is that? And, you know, the the obvious kind of thing, everyone's like, well, fruit is sweet and vegetables aren't. But, like, when you think about a, a fresh strawberry that you get in the supermarket, it's tart, right? This is not a sweet thing. And if you think of a really nicely caramelized onion, it's sweet. So even before you do any kind of bumping up sweetness with like, you know, sweetening agents um, of any kind, right there, the actual produce itself is like, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I like to question things. And I'm like, okay, so now we've established that vegetables actually can be at times sweeter than fruit. Then what else is going on? And I was just like, there's all these, there are these herbal flavors. They all have different herby flavors that, you know, like lavender in a cake, no one is laughing. Um, parsnip in a cake, there's something comical about it. But actually, parsnips caramelize beautifully. They go really and they have a lovely herbal kind of note to them. And so that was kind of my in, really, just thinking in that way. And then I made a list of all the vegetables, and I figured out what to do with all of them. Well, on the surface, it might seem if, if you're just looking quickly, odd vegetables in desserts. But just like you said, when you really start to think about it, we're already incorporating some carrots for carrot cake and pumpkin and lavender. Lavender is very popular right now. For um, Many chefs across the world are cooking with lavender. Um, rhubarb, my mom grew rhubarb and had put rhubarb in things. And so it does really make sense. And especially if you grow it yourself, it's even sweeter. Or if you get it locally, I think it's sweeter than something that's been trucked for miles and miles and miles. So I can really see where that um, would almost be a wonderful pairing between the two and another great way for people to incorporate more vegetables into their diet. Yeah, it is. And it's fun. Also, I I do believe in fun and pleasure. I think the fact that it makes you giggle makes you go, what is that? That's part of the fun for me, as well as the fact that then they're like, I don't know. And then they taste it and it's like, you know, well, this is delicious. Like, I love how it opens people's minds. It's really a tool to, you know, get people to see the world a little differently um, beyond food. And and that's kind of a a serious motivation for me with, with everything I do. Well, people are trying all kinds of creative ways to incorporate their vegetables, especially, like you said, now that more people are growing food at home, uh, even in the winter months when they can have something in a windowsill. But a lot of times we end up getting a bountiful amount of vegetables, more than we know what to do, and we can only give so much away. Uh, So we're always looking for creative ways to use what we grew. And even parents, I think, have been trying to find some strategy to weave more vegetables into children's diet. Children love desserts. We all know that. 
Totally. Yes. Yeah, so some of these um, recipes, the, the vegetables are quite subtly put in. It's kind of the stealth vegetable approach. But to be honest, not many of them. Um, most of the time I've approached the, the vegetable as the star ingredient. And in order to address, um, you know, some children, not all children, I think increasingly these days, as children are given more options of actually really good, fresh vegetables, so there's a lot less resistance with, with the younger folk. But there's nothing like fun and comedy to engage really anyone, but especially the smallest members of the family. And so there's an example of that. I, I've, I've got a cake called Godzilla Cake. Um, it's on page 40 of the book. And it's um, basically a, a pretty traditional almond cake it's got almonds and honey and some lovely spices in there cardamom and maple syrup and then there's a massive cauliflower coming out of it and the cauliflower's been marinated and so it is um you know sweet and delicious it's not like you suddenly got dinner in the middle of your cake it's like it does all blend together in terms of flavors um but in terms of, it's hilarious. You put that thing on, you're like, what is that? It's a Godzilla cake. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it. And, and we all know if we can get them involved, even in helping us with, with baking, that they also tend to want to eat it when it's, when it's complete as well. So anything we can do to bring mm -hmm. them into the kitchen and, and share the experiences is always half the battle. Absolutely. And um, I mean, I, I, I kind of don't see it as a battle at all when, when you're doing, you know, sweet recipes with kids. I've, I've never seen, you know, children who have any kind of, um, you know, issue around eating seem to kind of lose that when you're, when you're doing some kind of a cookie or, you know, simple recipe that, where they can get involved. And it's quite empowering for them to, to sort of do that, to get involved in the kitchen from a very young age, as long as obviously they're, they're well supervised. Um, but there's, there are a lot of studies that show that even if you're um, baking, you know, something that's really not a health food with um, kids, with small children, if they learn doing like, you know, refined sugar and butter cookies that are like, you know, really not on the health food list, they still, um, the, the skills and the passion they learn for the kitchen equips them for a healthy adult life. There are so many studies where they show that, that children who have that, advantage in their in their childhood grow up to be adults that will are more likely to make home-cooked dinners and take an interest um in how they're eating um so it's actually it is counterintuitive but it's actually really good for the children to um you know just get in there and, and make something that's sweet and fun well that totally makes sense. And I, I think people are starting to appreciate coming back at, at least once a week to the family meal table and having the family. I know everybody's so busy. I think globally, everybody's just running as fast as they can. But I, I've really noticed that more people are trying to get not only back to basics as far as maybe even with their, their own gardens, but but bringing everybody back to the table at least once or twice a week for, for dinner. And it really does influence the child. And I, I think you really nailed it with that, that uh, it just sets them up for adulthood to become, uh, it has so many rewards along the way. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, you know, the separate thing of a child being involved with the cooking process 
or a child and the rest of the family sitting together to eat. Those are like two separate activities, right? And the, the, the sitting together to eat a meal thing um, on a regular basis, I mean, that's social skills. So it's kind of they're, they're learning, um, you know, an interest in, in what they're eating and, and the process of cooking it in the kitchen. And then um, by eating together, they're, they're learning um, manners, they're learning, you know, how to have a conversation, um, lots of different things about, you know, attention and focus and sitting still and engaging with their fellow humans, um, which doesn't necessarily come from, you know, YouTube or, um, you know, sitting, playing games with your remote friends who are online somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, which we're all fighting against. Now, the book is coming out, um, Vegetable Cakes is coming out January 22nd here in the United States, but it's already been released in the UK, so it was released, I believe, in October, and you really had an amazing response to it in, in uh, really throughout the, the UK. Yeah, I was so excited um, about how it was received in the British press. We we had national newspapers um, like you know the Daily Mail, which is a, a very wide. I believe it has the largest circulation of all newspapers. I, I don't think I'm wrong saying that. Um, it's, it's a tabloid newspaper that's like very sort of familiar around the UK, and they did a, a two-page feature. Um, about the book, which was actually a little terrifying because I was concerned that the lady who was going to review it because she was trying out recipes and stuff. And I was like, I really hope she doesn't hate the cakes. It's like there's, there's the, the fun factor, you know, where it's just like, I hope she rolls with the fun or is she going to be like, why are we putting cauliflowers in this stuff? But she rolls with it because it tastes good. It's like mainstream flavors, mainstream palettes. You know, they have a very broad readership and um but you know i was so pleased that she you know rolled with it and was just like stuff's delicious and and you know it's inspiring and and um, surprising but it you know it it works do you think that's new to britons because in the past they really haven't had the reputation of really leading the world in culinary um visions but they're starting to well, really okay. Let, like let, come let me board. address that. I'm sorry <laughs> to cut you off there. I'm sorry. But let, let, let me address the the thing. So of course, like you know, I've I've lived in the states since 2004. So you know, I'm I'm here in Los Angeles right now. I've spent most of my time in the LA area, um, but also was in New York for three years and. Um, so I, I'm fully conversant with um, the um, widely held view in America that British food is terrible, like <laughs> this much I know. Um, but I want to bust that. I want to kind of look at that again because that's what I do is look at preconceived ideas and um, check them out like, and say, why, why do we have this idea? And I've really thought about it. And I think for um, the British food is bad myth um, because, you know what, in France they think British food is good. So, um, you know, unless you think the French don't know about food, like wow. currently, yeah. right now, and, and here we are in 2019, British food is extraordinary. I mean, there's all this incredible growing power for ingredients. You know, it's a very green and pleasant land. The, the, the climate is really conducive to pasture for all of the animals and to arable farming. It has great summer weather for like apples and pears and all of the fruit trees. Like there's a lot of great produce and, 
you know, so there's, and there's, there are great chefs. So, you know, there's, there's no problem with British food. But I think that the, um, the myth comes from when American servicemen went over in the war. I think it's from that point, because at that point, the U.S. didn't have rations, but the U.K. had rations and was close to starvation. I mean, there was, you know, the, the, the World War II in, in Europe was a more impactful deal to people on the ground, like just regular Joes. And so my understanding of that period, which is obviously way before my <laughs> existence, but... Um, my understanding from then is that, that it was extreme poverty and the food I'm sure was awful. Like I've seen some historic cookbooks from that era and people were trying to make do with like nothing. And I think that American servicemen came over, had, you know, from the States where everything was, you know, pretty good. There was a little bit of restriction, but like, not like that. And um, that was the, the first kind of mass Americans coming to Britain thing. And I think they went home and were like, the food was terrible. <laughs> and quite rightly at that point during the war years, I'm sure it was. And then it took the UK a while to recover from that level of poverty, whereas it was much quicker for the States to bounce back. So obviously by the 50s, you know, there were diners here. There was a whole kind of golden era of food going on in the States, whereas in the UK, it still wasn't quite there. And, and then the other thing I think is Americans as tourists. So they go and they eat, you know, super armpit fast food, like the terrible pizza um, from a tourist place <laughs> and so I think in modern times they're still doing it I think that a lot of tourists you know they're on a, a, a quick stop trip of Europe and they, they're in London for like three nights and they're staying in central London and they're, they're grabbing pizza in some like tourist hell place and um, you know it's like not not Britain's best <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. okay. so that, you're right cool. about all of that <laughs> that makes total sense. Well, and back going back to the World War II era, you know, people really weren't traveling very much. So when the servicemen did come back, they had these stories that, that most people had never experienced before and, and maybe in their lifetime never would. So all they had was what someone else's experience had been. So that makes, and then it, and then it gets in your head and the same thing. I mean, my dad was in the service and I, I remember him coming back with preconceived um, tales and he would tell us kids and we'd go, Oh, we don't ever want to go there. And then later as adults, oh, you, go. you know, we started going there and, and, and my sister became a traveler and we were traveling and we would say, we would come back and, we would tell my mom, we're like, we went there. It was a fantastic place. She goes, he always told me we w I would never like it. And I'm like, you would love it. So, and and now my dad says he don't ever remember telling us that, but um, he did. He he put these really big notions in our head about uh, going different places and they were overrated or underrated or this or that or whatever. So I find a lot And I'm sure in his experience that it was right. 
Well, you know, he, he was in the Navy and he was in Vietnam and he didn't have much money and they certainly didn't have a lot of time. So like you said, they're just running into places if, if they did have some shore time. And he didn't get to see the real place. He got to see all the little tourist traps. And, and I'm sure he didn't think that that was so great. Um, but of course, you know, if you're really traveling and, uh, and, and you put any, you know, a week or more in that time and you get to know some of the locals or now, like you were saying earlier with, with social media, we can do research ahead of time and so we're just not landing on a foreign soil with nothing but a with a tour book you know we can talk to people online and we can uh, research places online we can get recommendations and and so we, we can go there so um no you your observation you're very good at observation because you you nailed it on that thank you and and, and you must be very proud of your dad for his service as well yeah, he uh, he he is a really he he's a really great guy. Not adventurous, but a really great guy. <laughs> mm. Now you wear two hats, so you're a musician and then you're also a chef. When those worlds collide, are people in the food industry are they surprised you're also in the music industry and vice versa? Because I actually find once someone's creative. They, they just mesh together and you're kind of creative like you are in many, many aspects of, of your life. Um, but I'm wondering if, if, if you found in those worlds that there's an element of surprise when people find out. Well, yeah, for, for starters, I, I do need to um, address the chef word. I, I don't, I'm not a chef. Uh, I'm really not. I'm a food writer. So um, right now I think a lot of um, in the public imagination because there are so many like celebrity TV chefs and they are chefs and then they have a cookbook, the line is getting blurred between um, the two different jobs. But usually those cookbooks are actually ghostwritten by writers. You know, it's like not necessarily the actual chef who is spending, you know, it's like impossible to do everything, right? So they, they often come up with some ideas and then there'll be a team that's created that book. Um, and that because they're different... Um, skill set you've got you know a chef is someone who went to chef school and they know all about chefy things like knife cuts and um, how to keep a fridge stocked and how to make sure your staff are good there's a whole bunch of kind of restaurant related things that a chef does Um, a food writer which is what I class myself as is is somebody who really knows about how to write about food Um, basically a creative writer um, who understands how to talk about flavor and the beauty and the texture and the fragrance of food um, and also how to make a, a recipe that's accurate and that's easy to follow for somebody at home who doesn't have any chef training um, so my sort of, uh, that's my skill set. And, and then really my first thing is I, I studied composition and conducting at the Royal College of Music, uh, with violin on the side. So, um, music is, is, um, you know, the, the, I guess the main career and then, um, food writing is something that I really enjoy. It's started as a hobby and became a passion and then became a, a second career, um, just organically grew that way. Um, and I guess people who actually know me, um, as you say, it's, it's just there's no big surprise. I, I'm a creative person. And, you know, a lot of musicians love food. We travel a lot. We're touring. 
So we get exposed to food and ideas about food from all over the world, just through the people we meet and, you know, the meals that we get to eat on tour. And um, there's something, you know, very sensual and, um, like, fun. And it's like the good things in life. It's kind of like what everyone loves to do is either listen or play music or uh, eat or cook food. I mean, there's pretty, you know, there's not very few people who don't enjoy those things as their fun time. So I just, you know, I'm so lucky and so blessed that I get to do those fun time things for my job. Um, so that's the thing. For me, it's like not not that unusual. For some, of course, it's, you know, anything challenging for some people. <laughs> So yeah, I have some of people who who just don't get it, and they, you know. But it's like I think I think that's less and less now. Um, you know, I kept it very private, the two worlds, for many years. But at this point, you know, I, I undeniably have established myself in in both of those areas. You know, books released by like Harper Collins and Rizzoli, and you know, I, I cooked for a bunch of celebrities and stuff, and worked with William Shatner and Garden and. So I've definitely got, you know, professional credentials in, in the food side and on the music side, given the some of the other people I've worked with earlier. So, you know, so I, I think people don't really um, challenge me these days. But I, I did used to keep it private. You know, in the nineties, if you knew a musician, you had no idea about the food. And if you knew from the food, you had no idea about the music. <laughs> Well, and you have been very successful in the food arena. Um, some people are lucky to have one cookbook put out um, or maybe even a follow-up on two, but you are on your 13th uh, book. And so that just shows, and they've all of them have had critical acclaim and a lot of success. And do you worry about what your next idea is going to be, or do you just let it come to you in, in, in that creative process or, or, or do you feel like, Oh, I have 13 really great ones under my belt. I really have to come up with something fantastic the next time. There's, there's a zero pressure with the creative mm-hmm. process for me. I, I can't speak to every creative person, but I, I never feel uh, pressure. It's more, uh, you know, which of these ideas shall I choose? Um, this, you know, if I think pressure is the the um, stifler of creative ideas. Um, I just I don't I don't understand that paradigm. I'm, I'm more, you know, like excited and curious, and I have a sense of wonder and and follow a train of thought naturally. Um, so yeah, I currently have two new ideas that I'm developing um, that I'm I'm excited about both and. Um, Obviously, there's only enough hours to do one of them. So my thought is probably um, the, the select process out of the two that I have will will be from the outside. So it'll be you know seeing who picks up on um, one of these ideas, and and then I'll roll from there. But um, you know they're they're both exciting for me. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> no, no pressure. And- Well, this is an absolutely wonderful book, Vegetable Cakes. It'll be out and it's a, it'll be out on the 22nd. You can order it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, We always encourage everybody to get down to their local bookstore and buy it as well. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. The photography is beautiful. I don't, uh, oh, um, Nikki Stowie did your photography, did excellent. She did did a great job. 
yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased with, with the photography that Nikki did. Yeah, the, the photos just really come to life because you're telling a story with your, with your desserts and your vegetables, and she really helps bring that to just kind of leap right off the page and, and just make it just look so wonderful. And, I mean, you want to start getting vegetables. You want to get your kale. Nobody would think about kale or corn or squash or onions or um, – fennel uh, that you have all kinds of things plant-based cheesecakes I mean there's it's just so um, filled with information for people and it's I think it's just a really great resource for anyone who loves vegetables or is growing vegetables loves to go to farmers markets I love farmers markets it's such a social experience for me just to get out and get my little bag and just go from vendor to vendor and talk to them and they are so open about telling you about how the products were grown and that type of thing. So this is a fantastic accompanying for that to make us even more um, successful, <laughs> if you will, with our, with, our, with our gardening experience and our mind, body, soul experience, eating right, feeling right, and uh, having a, a healthy lifestyle as much as we can for as busy as most of us are. I really appreciate your enthusiasm um, for this, Laurie. And I kind of, while, while we're talking about the, um, the photographer, Nikki, um, Nikki Dowie, I, I just kind of wanted to give a quick shout to the team because, you know, I mentioned teams earlier in, in different contexts of books, but, like, it's always a team uh, with really anything at all. Any record you like, any book you like, there's more than one person. It's not just the lead artist on the record and it's not just author so um, you know my editor my publisher the design team the printers like I'm really proud of how everyone pulled together to make this book such a beautiful book well it really almost you know it, it just seems like a labor of love and it to to have something like this come out it does like you said and take a team effort, uh, people believing in it and bringing us something that that we haven't seen or experienced before, but but should. And that's what knowledge is and growing is all about. And this is a fantastic way to do it. It should be in everybody's kitchen. And it may also makes a wonderful gift. So if you know that person who you can't buy for, a, but they love to cook and they're one of those people, they have everything and what do you get them? I mean, this is absolutely something that enjoy, get a kick out of and it will really start a conversation so uh, I really think that everybody should go out and get it so it's going to be available here in just a couple days vegetable cakes now I wanted to ask you how's the best way for people to keep up with you because I know you have a lot of things coming up you're going to be doing some signings and other interviews and and you might be coming to uh, someone's area because everybody's listening online now and um so you might be coming to somewhere where somebody wants to reach out and talk to you or, or come to one of your signings. So what's the best way for people to keep up with you? Well, um, from the food side of things, um, my food world is at tastecolors.com. Um, so taste and then C-O-L-O-R-S, the American way, tastecolors.com. And uh, for my music, it's ilovestrings.com, um, I-L-O-V-E-S-T-R-I-N-G-S, like violins and stuff, ilovestrings.com. 
Um, so they're both the, the different areas. And then, you know, I'm on Instagram for both of those accounts and Facebook for both and Twitter for both. Um, you know, so there's lots of ways that people can um, get in touch or just follow um, what's going on. Um, and if, if anyone happens to not have a friend in the L.A. area, um, I know you guys are Seattle, but, it's, you know, we're, we're close ish um and people have friends other places so we are having the launch event on tuesday 22nd um at book soup on the sunset strip um we have a, a music journalist called Lindsay parker who will be um in conversation with me there perfect yeah well you know we have direct flights right from uh seattle to la and people are jumping on them all the time I, I talk to so many people every day. It's like, oh, what you doing tomorrow? Yeah, I got to fly down to L.A. So it's happening all the time. We're such a mobile society anymore. But L.A. is just, I was born and raised in San Diego, and then uh, I'm a transplant oh, wow. to Seattle. So, uh, but everybody's always, I mean, it's a flux up and down that uh, West Coast corridor on, the, on Alaska Airlines most of the time. We're all going to California, mm-hmm. especially this time of year. Yeah, yeah, although right now we have the rains at the moment. Oh. It's like torrential rain. I don't want to come now. <laughs> but like, hopefully by Tuesday that will have dried up. <laughs> yeah, it's like the little secret. LA never tells anyone about the rains, but the rains exactly. are Exactly. Well, you they never wrote songs about it, you know, well. <laughs> never rains in California but but when it does it pours I mean there's even song lyrics about it so but uh it's a it's a wonderful state and uh, yeah, I, I miss it a lot but I try to get back as as often as I can and I, I wish I would be there on the sunset strip uh, on uh, on the 22nd I think it's going to be a lot of fun so I really appreciate you joining us today it was really fun to talk with you about all of this I had a great time and I wish you nothing but just continued success Thank you so much, Lori. This has really been a pleasure to, to talk with you and to feel a little connection with the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Well, we love to be connected to anything that has warmth around it. And not only does L.A. have a lot of warmth around it, but you also have a lot of warmth around you. And I wanted to tell you, I really enjoyed your TEDx talks where you talked about colors and, and that type of thing um, and, and those connections. I, I watched it online. And in fact, I've watched it twice. It was, I really enjoyed it. So thank you oh, for that. Oh, very kind. Thank you. And I thank you for, for checking out my, my world. And, and do keep in touch, Laurie. I really appreciate, um, yeah, you taking the time. No problem. The book is called Vegetable Cakes, the most fun way to five a day. And we all know we need five a day. We're going to be right back.
And that was our guest, Ivan Spivak, and she was so fun to talk to. I enjoyed that so much. So thank you, Ivan, for coming on with us. That was a song of hers, a collaborative song. She told me that she did that about 15 years ago. It's called Emerald, and you can find it on Amazon or iTunes. But it um, reminded me of the Emerald City. So here in Seattle, we're known as the Emerald City, and the song was called Emerald. And so it struck a nerve with me, and that's why I wanted to play it for you. But you can see how multi-talented that she is. So you want to get out, you want to get the book, you want to give it away as a gift, and you want to have one for yourself. It's called Vegetable Cakes, the most fun way to five a day. We need five servings. So let's get them and let's all be healthy together. It was great talking to you, and we will see you next time.